Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 211 and this episode this week is from Michael Schwerhoff. Michael's a SNC coach over in Germany with FC Schalke. So it's great to have him on the podcast. I love speaking to different practitioners based in different leagues right around the world. Great to get their insights and experiences working with different players. So we touched on his approach. We talked about how he defined his approach and the approach he he took going into working with the squad that he's working at currently. We talked about how he tailors his approach for working with different positions as well, mainly working in the gym. We spoke about whether he's got any key strength lifts, any strength standards that he's trying to get players to work towards. And then also he gives a little bit of insight into his views and experiences around triphasic training as well and the impact that Cal Dietz has had on his career so far. So we covered loads of great stuff in this one around strength training, around working the gym. So I hope you enjoy the episode with Michael. I've got to say a massive thank you to everybody that came out to our networking event at West Bromwich Albion. We have three incredible presentations from uh, Matt Bickley, who's first team sports scientist at West Brom. We also had Tom Page speaking, head of academy sports science at West Brom, and also Tony Strudwick, director of medical at West Brom as well. So three incredible presentations. I know plenty of the people that were at the event said how great the presentations were, how thought-provoking they were, and um, yeah, we had some great reviews on the event. I've also had quite a lot of people reaching out asking if they can get hold of those presentations. And I do mention on the podcast that all the presentations from our events are uploaded onto our online community. So you can get access to all presentations, whether you can make it to the events or not, at our online community. So go to footballfitfed.com and click the community tab to register and sign up there. The day of this podcast going out is actually the day of our Northwest networking event at Bolton Wanderers. We're going to be at the University of Bolton Stadium, Wednesday the 2nd of November, 6 till 9pm. If you're listening to this early in the day and you want to come, there there will still be tickets available. Um, If you're not and you listen to it after, like I just mentioned, you will get access to the presentations on the community. We've got reader in sport and exercise biomechanics at Salford University, Dr. John McMahon, presenting alongside first team sports scientist at Everton, Jason O'Keefe as well. And the topics of those presentations, John is presenting on using force plates to facilitate training decisions in professional soccer. And Jason is going to be presenting on pitch-based rehabilitation in football, contextual considerations in academy and first team players. Now, the day after that event, Thursday, the 3rd of November, we are going to be at Rotherham United, New York Stadium. We've got two presentations at this event as well. Senior performance coach at Rotherham, Brent Dickinson, is going to be presenting alongside head of sports science at Sheffield Wednesday, Rob Lee. Brent is going to be presenting um, on Can Change Follow Success? And Rob is going to be presenting on the reflective practice, what not to do and how not to do it. So all these presentations will be available on our online community very soon. Also, if you listen to the podcast in time and you still want to attend either of those events, just go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and then networking events and all ticket information is available there. Now, just before we dive into the episode, a very quick word from our sponsors and a massive thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast. First up, Hydro Training. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? 
Hytrove developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab. Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. So you can check them out by going to hytro.com, H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email Warren, that's Warren Bradley, on warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. And if you want more information about BFR and what Hydro are doing, Warren was actually on the podcast back on episode 158. So scroll back through the archives and go and check that episode out with him. Also got to say a huge thank you to Rezzle for sponsoring the podcast. And let's get into it now. Episode 211 with SNC coach at FC Schalke, Michael Schwerhoff. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 111, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Schalke SNC coach Michael Schwerhoff. Michael, how are you? Hi, Ben. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm great to be here. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm good so far. Um, I'm very excited what it uh, will be today. Perfect. No, it's great to have you on. So thank you for freeing up some time. I know we're going to cover a few different topics, but I always like to start in the same place on the podcast, and that is about you and your career so far. Okay. So can you give us a little bit of a breakdown on the career, where you started and also up to the current role? Yeah, my my career is not that straight as uh, as many other SNC coaches maybe do. Um, I started in 2012. Uh, with my studies in physiotherapy and um, even did my bachelor uh, degrees and um, even worked as a physiotherapist um, for a few years and then in 2017 I started in Cologne with my uh, master studies in exercise science and coaching and in 2019 then I had a kind of internship at uh, Schalke and um, yeah, it was was very grateful for me because um, at that point they had not that much um, yeah guys in the in the coaching stuff and in the SNC department, so I was in the lucky situation um, that they gave me a full time job and I started with um, yeah the under twelve, under thirteen, under fourteen team and uh, had the chance to do some conceptual things. Um, I I had the opportunity to to bring my own ideas into the work here and um, yeah then as many of you guys maybe know uh, Schalke had a had a bad time uh, they went to second league and they changed the whole stuff uh, so I had the chance to um, yeah join the professional team for one year uh, as a rehab and prehab coach and yeah we we did the, the thing 
uh, not many guys um, yeah even thought about so we went up back to the first league and um, yeah after that year I was I was very very happy to do this um, but um, I noticed that my profession is in SNC training and not really in the rehab and prayer thing. So um, yeah, I, I got the opportunity from the club uh, to be athletic coach or SNC coach uh, for the highest youth teams in the academy. And I'm very happy to be here now. And uh, yeah, I can do my things. I can I can try a lot of things and work with the with the young guys who are still motivated um, and they are the top level in their age class. So you've had quite a bit of experience, Michael, working right through different ages because I think you mentioned under 12 before you've mentioned first team you mentioned yeah. sort of top end of academy was it always the intention to work with the age groups that you're working with now or does that just sort of come from experience yeah I think it, it's an unusual way that I've uh, taken because um Usually you start in the younger age groups and you have to show that you that you're doing great and that you're motivated and that you're that you can do a lot of work and then time by time you go up uh, to the to the older age groups and uh, I think that's the normal way and then after a few years maybe um, when you've over a period of time shown that you can do great work and that you have good content um, then maybe you have the chance to go to the professional team. I know that this is for me very lucky and I was there after a very short time. So it was not always the intention to be in the first team after two years of, of academy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here now and uh, do my things. Um, and in, in mid to long term, I hope to be back in the professional team uh, again or uh, at any professional team. But yeah, at least um, I'm here to to... Yeah, gain some experience and um, yeah, try to do the best with the guys and bring them on the next level uh, physically. And with that experience at first team level, but then also looking back to sort of the, the under 12s and the academy, when you're working with the players that you're working with now, it's probably quite reflective for you and you've probably taken a lot away from the different age groups that you've worked with. So what have been some of the biggest lessons from you from getting exposure to these different ages of players yeah the the biggest difference between the the very young age groups like under 12 under 13 is um there you don't do specific strength training you're not that much time in the gym so you're mostly uh or the most of the time on the pitch and doing things in a yeah, football specific way and and try to implement your content in a football specific way so I was trying to do my my athletic training uh, with the ball and always have a technical or tactical um, yeah content together to to implement this. And when I then was uh, at the professional team, everything the whole thing changed, and it was a lot of time um, with my colleagues uh, in the in the gym. We had specific strength training uh, with a lot of squats and deadlift, and this was kind of whole new world for me. Um, and these experiences were very, very good for me. And um, so now, now I combine it uh, with my under-17 team and under-16 and um, try to, to implement both experiences I got and um, yeah, mix it up so, so give the players the best I, I can give them. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to get into your 
philosophy and how you go about preparing players for the demands of the first team. Um, so I was going to start with, you know, you mentioned before about going into the club and I know it was in the lower age groups, but having a bit of like a clean slate and being able to put your stamp on the program, mm-hmm. what, how would you sort of define your approach? Like what are some of the key things that you're, you've brought to the program and key things you feel that, that players need to be prepared for, for game day? Yeah, um, I to be honest, I, I noticed uh, that my work changed over the time because when I came here, I was um, very into this into this opinion. Everything we have to do is on the pitch. We don't need the gym and we don't need strength training. And I thought I could give the players all they need on the pitch with with sprinting and change of direction and agility and stuff. And um, this worked with the younger age groups, but then when I worked with a with a professional team, I noticed the loads you need to give them, or you you have to give them to stand or withstand the the match uh, load. Um, you can't do this only on the pitch. So I was overthinking it, and I was I was no, I noticed that I had to do gym work with them and give them high loads, and then. I noticed the the combination of it is from my from my perspective the best the best way to come because you can uh, you can always do on the pitch a lot with with change of direction agility sprinting and these are always always kind of performance things to give the players but at the end you you need to build up the base the foundation in the gym to give them strengths to make them uh, to to lower the injury risk and then bring the performance on the pitch. So what, what I am now thinking about is gym is foundation, giving them strength, giving them power, make them make them resistant and uh, resist any the load they have to do. And then at the end on the pitch, you do the, the um, sport specific part uh, and give them everything they need on match day. And you mentioned about the how your maybe your mindset has changed or your thought pattern has changed around the importance of the gym work. Yeah. Where did that come from initially? Where was the thought process of I can get everything done on the pitch and what sort of sparked that change to the importance of gym work? Yeah, I, I was uh, when when I saw how the how how my um, colleagues were working and they had a lot of experience in professional teams. Um, and I saw that what they were doing in the gym, I was overthinking my own training and was thinking, okay, this, this part was missing. And then, yeah, I, I tried to understand it. I did a lot of research and, and read a lot of books and studies. And then I noticed um, like uh, tendon stiffness or uh, muscle strength and, and um, all, all these phys- physiological parts. These are so important and um only to do in the in the gym work. So this was the main, um, yeah, the main point where I where I overthought my own work, my own training. So now I tried to. Well, this this was the moment when I thought, okay, I have to change something in my own work. Brilliant. And the other thing I was going to ask is, obviously, you're dealing with a lot of different positional demands within mm-hmm. a squad. Um, and also then different types of players within that squad as well and different ways of playing. How does that impact what you do in terms of the gym? I'm talking about the gym work now. How does that Im- impact the, the work that you do in the gym? Yeah, this is, um, 
this is about the time that the coach give me. So first, my first thought or my, my first um, yeah um, goal is to keep the whole squad on a certain level. And then I try to do specific things because, um, as you mentioned, um, the different positions have different demands. So, um, yeah, for the for the wingers or for the center backs or the strikers, uh, I try to do like uh, profiles with the data I get. With the, we're working with the polar uh, system, and um, I try to find benchmarks. So, how many sprints do they have to do? How many um, high intensity distance do they have to cover? And then I try to implement that in my training. But to be honest, this is not possible possible every every week in the training. So uh, maybe you have different uh, different workdays where you um, or weekdays where you have your matches, and then the coaches have maybe another idea than me. And as an SNC coach, you're like um, yeah a consultant, but you have not the main responsibility. So if the coach gives me the time to do this. It's fine, and I will implement it. But maybe, uh, unfortunately, it's not not um, every week possible to do this. And you said about trying to get players up to like a, a standard, and mm-hmm. then you can individualize from that. So, can you break that down a little bit more? What what would that look like? Is that achieving certain certain lifts, certain weight, certain percentage of body weight? Like how how does that actually look? Yeah, the problem is that um, it's like a we had um, the last years not that um, yeah consistent SNC training. So the players we have here right now are not very experienced in doing uh, lifts and, and squats and stuff. So my goal right now is to bring them on a technical level so they can do clean movements and have clean movement patterns. And we started with like yeah, strength endurance, so low weights, but clean movements. And right now, so in the next two or three weeks, it's time for me to load up and uh, yeah, let, let them lift with more weights. And um, yeah, this is the experience I'm trying to find now. Uh, so how many or how many percentage of their body weight do they have to, to lift to give them a good standard and to make them um yeah resist and and uh, strong enough to to uh yeah to compete on the pitch so this is this is my my way now that i have tried to find benchmarks and say okay at this point you're strong enough and then we can individualize yeah it's really interesting isn't it and i suppose like you say a goal can simply be that consistency when it when a squad has been so inconsistent and such low age like training age as well because that is really important isn't it in terms of exposure to weight training yeah yeah i'm sure other clubs are are, yeah a lot of uh, ahead of us because they have more experience in and and they start even earlier in doing lifts and um yeah working by example with the barber um and and yeah the the players for them it's to be normal or it's normal for them to be in the gym and to do lifts and they can do it on their own but unfortunately we are not at that point so i try to implement it and um yeah my colleagues here in the in the uh, academy uh, we have we have one opinion and one mindset so right now we from this from the beginning of this season we started uh, to implement it and i hope in three four five years when when we consistently work then um, yeah it's even normal for the players too and we have more data we have more experience and then everything is is in line and uh, the players can can um, 
yeah, work with it. And what's the reason behind that, Michael? Is that from players coming in from different clubs or is it just that the programme hasn't been in place at, at, um, at Schalke before? Like, what's the reason for the players not having that exposure yet? Yeah, to be honest, um, we had a lot of different coaches here the last years. And um, when I came here in 2019, I had uh, the, the head of the department in the academy um, already started to to have bring more structure into the SNC work. And this worked well for, for a year. And as I mentioned before, then uh, Schalke had had um, yeah bad times financially and, and uh, in the league. So everything mixes up. It was very inconstantly and um, yeah, lots of changes in, in the personal years. So um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that for the players, but um, they had not... The, the the quality work in SNC they should have in this for for this club I think. Well, that's a really important point as well, isn't it? Because you have to take your current circumstances and work from that point. So if yeah. players, if coaches have got players that have bigger training experience or even a mix of some that do and some that don't, you've got to take it from that point, can't you? You can't go in with just a program in mind and put that in place regardless like what you've done is you've gone in and taken the place one that where they're at currently and give them something appropriate from where they're at now yeah yeah i tried i tried to take them where they are and um i think it's it's the wrong point to to go them to the gym and small uh, and throw a bubble at them and, and say here you have to squat now and, and do this you're old enough so um it's a long way to give them the right technique and and look at them and teach them to do corrective exercises and and yeah take them where they are right now and as you said um, accept the circumstances and then work from this point on and try to do the best for them and then this is probably looking forward on the program now where you've implemented the things that you've talked about that you're trying to push to the players but mm. in terms of like key lifts indicator lifts do you have anything that you work back to in that regards or is that going to be something that you're going to basically just see what fits with the program and how well the players progress uh, uh, sorry i didn't get that so, so is it, have you got any key indicator lifts or any certain exercises uh-huh. that you refer back to that, that might get retested yeah my my focus is on uh, back squat and deadlift um so these are the two to main exercises, I build everything around. So um, when I do this, so squats as a as a knee dominant exercise and lift as a hip dominant exercise uh, are the main points in my in my strength circle. And then I have transitioning exercises like jumps or accelerations or um, yeah, even accelerations with uh, with resistance bands and try to and to transform the power from the from this lift exercise into a football specific movement. Um, so yeah, I try to to bring the players from the point where they are now, from not knowing how to squat over front squat, maybe with a, with a kind of kettlebell and and progress it step by step, so they have a good. So a good movement pattern, clean movement pattern with low weights, and know how to how to move and to get to get a feeling how they have to move, and then progress it uh, to a clean back squat. So then, um, when when this is done, I can load up uh, the weight, and then I think the the benefit from it will be even bigger. 
And same way as uh, with a deadlift, I started even in there with a, a kettlebell to bring them to a clean movement and then um, build up the weight. Brilliant. And I, I was just going to ask as well, because I think it might be interesting for a few coaches. You said about creating clean movement, trying to get players prepared to squat with the bar. Mm-hmm. When does that decision come? Is there something where you notice, right, a player's been through a program of six weeks, 12 weeks, and we've prepared them for this point? Or is it a case of judging it day by day and saying, right, that player is now ready. Let's try and test them a little bit more because they're looking like they've progressed well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm taking at least six or seven weeks to do the, the foundation and try to correct every player in, in that time um, in, in the kind of strength circle I, I do. But the time I do or I have with them in the gym is very limited. Uh, limited. So, um, yeah, I can, I can really be too individualized uh, because um, I then have 20 players there and, and have 10 exercises and let them do in, in groups of two. So um, I try to, to see every player over, over a period of time, how he develops and how he's doing his, the squats. And then I think um, after, after this period of time, I can go to the next step and then it can work. Um, but yeah, Mm, this is this is the the different part of a uh, difficult part of of the training um when they are in this young training age uh, and and have no experience with this weights and you implement it with in the age of 16 or 17 so this is uh yeah some some difficult point but uh, i try to do my best to to get the le- uh, players on a on a level where where they can work We've had some incredible coaches signing up to our community recently from dotted all around the world, which is amazing to see. You can get access to all the presentations from our networking events. We've recently had three presentations from our MK Dons event, including Simon Crampton's presentation around the medical process. We've had three presentations from our Celtic event as well. They were all based around preparing players for the Champions League and the demands of the Champions League. And then, like I mentioned at the start, we've just recently had our event at West Brom, where all presentations from that event will all be available as well, along with the presentations from our Bolton event and Rotherham event. So there's so much content available on the community right now. Make sure you go and check it out. If you've not already claimed your free month, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, go through the sign up process. It'll give you one month free on the community. You get a 30 day free trial. After that, if you remain a member, you can come into our members' WhatsApp group and you get continued access to all the future information going into the community as well. And it's only £4.99 per month as well. So go and check it out footballfitfed.com. Click the community, sign up there, and have a route through all the amazing content that's available on there. Let's get into part two of the podcast now with Michael Schwerhoff. And just on the staffing side of things, Michael, who who else is in the department with yourself? Is it you just leading on the session? So when you're in the gym carrying out these programs, is that just yourself or is there other coaches as well? Yeah, the other coaches are in the gym with me. Uh, I'm responsible for what we're doing. So I'm, I'm giving the exercises. I'm saying how long or how many reps and sets. But the other coaches are inside the gym too and help me uh, to correct players and and give them instructions and um, yeah this this really helps me so um, this is a point 
if I would be the only one in, in the gym uh, during the session, I think the focus would not be there, but the chef coach or the head coach is, is with me in the gym. And, and so I think the, the focus of the players is, is more on point. Uh, so they see, okay, the, the head coach is, is even here and is interested in how I do this. And I have to give 100% um, so that he sees I'm, I'm full on point. I've had a lot of people mention that on the podcast before where that creates a whole different buy-in, doesn't it, for players when there's coaches even in the room, not even necessarily joining the session, but just being in the room can create a different culture, can't it, in terms of especially being in the gym? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, I, I noticed that because um, sometimes when the, when the head coach is on the pitch and maybe is, is uh, doing some organizational things, it's very hard to get into the session. And when he comes and, and joins the session, everything is just light up and, and full on point. And yeah, this, but I try, I try to catch the players, but uh, yeah, I think this is a normal, normal thing in soccer. So Yeah, definitely. No, the reason I asked about the staffing is because that can impact things sometimes, can't it? In terms of how in depth you get with the programming or even what exercises you're selecting players to do. Because yeah. if it's just yourself with a squad of 20, the programming can be very different to having three other coaches with you, couldn't it? Like that, that can determine what exercises we use, what like, and, and have an impact on the program essentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, um, I, I think that another point which is, which is influencing this is the age of the players. When, when I worked with the professionals last year, um, they all, knew what they or why they are doing this because they were in professional team they they are earning their money with it and these guys with now 15 16 years old um they don't have the mindset to see i need to give my my very best to come to the next step or to do the next step and um yeah this is maybe a little bit different and the the things around the whole day of them so like school like family like maybe girlfriends or whatever um yeah, distracting them and so it's completely different kind of work with with academy players or with professionals yeah brilliant and again looking forward on the program mm -hmm. i was going to ask about whether you have any sort of strength standards as well or whether this is just going to be developed over time so mm -hmm. is there is there a place that you want a player to get to and i know we're not going to say that they're strong enough when they get to that point because we know that's not the case but this <laughs> is a constant constant work is going to be done isn't it but is there somewhere where you're like, right, once I've got the player under the bar, they're able to squat, then I start loading them. I'm actually yeah. trying to get them to here. Like, is there a point that you're trying to get them to? Or is it a case, again, of just in, um, managing each individual? Yeah, my, my plan is um, kind of, yeah, half, half year progression. So um, I, I put it into blocks. And as I mentioned, I started with a, with the technical part, the next step would be kind of strength endurance, where you have uh, where you let the the muscle grow and where where you have the uh, metabolic adaptation. After this block, I will go over to a kind of um, submaximal or hypertrophy phase, where where I change the the set of reps uh, again, and then at the end, um, yeah, the the last block of this half year would be an, an explosive training block. So um, this is my progression, and I try to to find um, the weights and um, yeah the 
the set and reps for the other parameters for the players who fits the best for the team. So maybe for one player, it's more beneficial than for, for the others. But as I said before, I have limited time into the gym, so I can't do too individual, uh, individualized. I wish I could do more, but um, yeah, because of organization uh, things and, and the time the players are at, at Schalke, Uh, it's very limited, so um, yeah, the work is not as individualized as I want to, but I try with this progression to bring them from this point where they are now to a very strong athlete, a powerful athlete, and um, yeah, give them give them all they need to to perform on the pitch um, in the best way. Yeah, Brill. I did a podcast, Michael, not so long ago with Bram Swinnon, who's over at um, Genk. And he touched on velocity-based training and not only using velocity-based training, but also how they use it to individualize and ensure that we're training for what we're setting out to train. Because instead of falling in the trap of doing 10, 10 reps for the sake of doing 10 reps, we want to we try and use it for a reason. So is that something that potentially is going to come into the program as well? Is there, is there any sort of velocity-focused training that is going to be included? Yeah, I, I see a lot of content uh, Bram is, is um, doing on, on Instagram and in, on LinkedIn and stuff. Uh, it's, it's brilliant what he does. And uh, I, I love his ideas and I love his movement patterns. And he's very into detail and, and yeah, very, very complex training. I love to see what he does. Um, and this, I think this is very, very beneficial for the players because this is the possibility to work very individualized and um, as I see on his on his uh, videos and uh, pictures, he's working with the Kaiser system, and um, yeah, the, you even get a, a directly um, response from the from this device, and you see how fast or how much of the of the repetitions and uh, or, or your maximum you did in, in this one repetition, and then if you say if you go below this this value, stop the exercise because it's not fast or explosive enough. So. We have also Kaiser um, um, devices here, but um, yeah, very in, in a limited way. So I can't do this for every exercise I want to, and so I try to mix it up. But um, the players, yeah, need some time to get used to these devices and know how this reacts. And and yeah, but I think uh, it's definitely a, a good possibility to to work in individualized programs. Yeah. And just on that point as well, getting into the details on the program around triphasic and yeah. not necessarily the triphasic training as it as it is in um, Caldice's book and the detail that he goes into. Yeah. We're just interested in like how you would use the phases of training um, and how that would be programmed across the season, across a week um, with certain players at certain times of their development. How would you go about that? Yeah, I read the book from from Kel. Uh, it's it's brilliant, and the, I I love how he how he writes that. And um, it's it's yeah, like like every time I, I read some pages, it's like a, a session in in uh, in my studies or something like that. So it's uh, it's very interesting, and and I get new new impacts from that. Um, right now, it's it's difficult for me to to focus on on the different phases uh, of the contraction. But uh, when I worked with my with professional players last year, uh, especially in, in uh, rehab, I um, yeah very focused on on the 
different phases. So even if we had a lot of players with uh, with knee pain and like uh, tendon problems, and with them I worked especially on the eccentric phase. And um, yeah, I had a player who, who was injured and um, was out over over a specific period of time. And then we started with um, concentric uh, contraction, then concentric and isometric uh, isometric contraction, and then at the end. Um, I added eccentric and then I combined it into a dynamic contraction. So like I tried to, to uh, isolate the contraction forms and work in these phases. And then when I had the feeling and I saw the movement quality is good enough and he can combine it and he can do a dynamic contraction, then I put all three together and uh, tried to work on, on explos uh, explosive movements. And this worked very well. And uh, so, yeah, I um, had a big benefit from from isolating these phases and then bring it up together. And I know your role within the first team was more rehab focused, wasn't it? At, at that yeah. point, but what was it? What was it like with the with the players that were fit in terms mm -hmm. of the strength work that they were doing in regards to like the triphasic approach, eccentric, isometric, concentric? Like, what was what was the the microdosing approach that the players would be using throughout the season. Um, to be honest, I wasn't so much involved in the in the head of the department's plans. So um, I'm sure he had he had like progression and and planning into those phases. He's uh, he's top of his level, so he's, he's he's very good, and I learned a lot from him. But I am I don't know every detail of his plans, so. I'm sure he he had a view on this and, and tried to implement this in in this work, but um, right now I can't remember if if there was uh, special phases where he focused on on one of each of the phases or um, yeah. So he I, I in the when I read the book and I thought about the training sessions we had with the pro team, um, I remember some things I I learned and read in the book. Uh, so I thought, oh, okay, this this could be the idea from from Caldiz maybe or probably, um, but I I'm not sure about his his detailed planning, so I can't really answer it. No, I appreciate that, and I know like like I just mentioned before that your role was in the rehab uh, with yeah. the players, so I really appreciate you going into that in detail. Michael, we always fi finish these podcasts with the quick fire questions, so if that's yeah. okay with you, we'll get into those now. Um, okay. The first one being, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, I, I try to read a lot of books and, and studies and stuff. And uh, yeah, Khalid is uh, definitely one one of the persons um, who influenced me in, in the last time. Uh, and Milan Jovanovic um, is is one one of the guys who's always popping up in my LinkedIn story or timeline. <laughs> so. Uh, He's very interesting for me. And um, yeah, so this this would be the, the two or three guys, I guess, uh, who have the, the biggest influence for me. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Uh, sorry, sorry? What would you say your biggest strength is as a coach? Uh, okay, I think um, my biggest strength is to have a good relationship to the players. I can, I can have fun with them. I'm... I'm on a good level, so um, in in a social way. But when it comes to my strength training and and I'm responsible for the for the training session, the know uh, the guys know they have to perform and 
then fun stops and work has to be done. So I think the combination of yeah being fun, being good with them, but also um, being being strict and wanting them to perform is is uh, one point I I can do right good. Yeah. Brill. And in terms of some top advice, I always like to ask on if you were to go back to Michael a few years ago and speak to a younger Michael. Yeah. What would be the top bit of maybe career advice mainly? What would be the top bit of a career advice for yourself? Um, definitely don't believe everything they, they tell you because the, the difference between the theory and the studies and the experiences you do in, in, the, in the academy or with the teams is there's a big gap. And my, my advice would be try to find as many internships as you can, as you can do. I reckon that's one of the best answers I've had on that one. <laughs> yeah it's so true though isn't it like in yeah. terms of the, what we learn we take it as gospel and then we i think at a time when you've not got as much experience it's only natural to just take that on and believe it and not that everything's incorrect by any any means but you're right how yeah. things get applied in the real world is very different isn't it yeah definitely yeah Michael, you've you've um, mentioned a few times that you obviously you're reading and you're constantly upskilling as a practitioner. So what's your approach to continued development? Is that courses, obviously reading, podcast, articles, research? How do you go about improving yourself as a practitioner? Yeah, I think reading is, is one of the big parts. Um, I made a lot of courses. Um, and right now I'm at the point where I say, okay, the course I do is it's interesting and it's good as kind of refreshing things and, and talk about things and networking with other people, but the content is very similar. And I think the, the best way to develop is talk to other professionals, uh, learn from their experience. Um, yeah, go to conferences or, or um, something like that, uh, meetups with other with other SNC coaches and just talk about how you work and um, let them tell how they work and then try to find the best way to find uh, to to mix it up and do the best uh, what what you can do because um, if you just work on your own and don't get any ideas from from right or left um, then I think it's it's the best way to to not improve and um, yeah I think the the networking and exchange with other professionals is the best way to develop. I keep sneaking this um, question onto the podcast just for personal interest, but you obviously mentioned Cal Dietz's book. Is there any other books, not necessarily just on sort of performance and S&C, but is there any book recommendations that you've got? Um, yeah, something that's not um, uh, football or uh, S&C specific is from Ryan Holiday, uh, The Biggest Enemy is Your Ego. Yeah. So um, I read that and was was mind blowing for me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in in SNC work, I, I right now I am already reading uh, what we need speed from Hank Kreinhoff. So this is very beneficial for me, and especially in sprint training. And um, yeah, I had I had a course with Ian Jeffries from the NSCA. He has um, lots of books about game speed, game agility. Um, this I can recommend. Brilliant. Michael, that's been amazing having you on. Thank you for coming on. 
Thank you for having me, man. If people have got questions for yourself or yeah. they want to reach out just for a chat in general, where would you direct them? Is there any is there any links that you've got that you'd direct them to? Um, yeah, LinkedIn is always a possibility to, to reach out. And um, yeah, I think yeah, this this would be the, the easiest way. And um, yeah, they can always contact me. And, and I'm always happy if, if I can share with, with other guys. And yeah, as I said before, exchange and, and talk with them. Brilliant. Michael, thank you very, very, very much for your time, even, even easy for me to say. And um, best of luck for the rest of the season as well. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. It was a great time. It was a good experience. And I was happy that you asked me. And uh, wish you a good weekend. Thank you to Michael for giving up his time and coming on the podcast. Go and give him a follow. He's over on Instagram. If you search at m.sc90, you'll find him over on Instagram. And then also he's over on LinkedIn. So just search his name on LinkedIn and you can connect with him over there as well. I'm sure he'd be up for answering any questions that you might have for him as well and please give the podcast a share as always and give it give both uh, football fitness federation and also michael a tag over on instagram over on linkedin and also you can share it on twitter and tagging us as well so in terms of takeaways on this one he mentioned early on in the podcast not being able to do everything on the pitch and coming to that realization and the, the fact that there is such an importance in the gym but trying to find a balance between the two which is i'm sure something that we are constantly trying to find that balance. I just saw recently, actually, a player, I can't remember what player it was, leaving Barcelona, joining another club, and talking about how little Barcelona are actually doing in the gym um, and how much this this new team that they moved to are doing in the gym, and it was a bit of a shock to the system. So it shows there's a lot of different approaches being taken. I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. There's a lot of different approaches taken by clubs, whether that's culturally, whether that's coming from the head coach, and it's understanding that and trying to find a balance and trying to find it to fit in with your current environment as well. And then the other thing was not believing everything they teach you or they tell you. Because I think as young coaches, we think there's just one answer to everything. We want to be taught everything. We don't realize the importance of experiences, the importance of actually going through a bit of failure and questioning things as well. Even asking why, why are we doing that that in that way or in that order or whatever it is, because that's when the real lessons are learned. And I think if more young coaches can do that, not in a way where you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, but actually doing it constructively, then I think you develop as a coach um, a hell of a lot. So I think that was a lesson to take away from what Michael was talking around. So again, big thank you to Michael for coming on and thank you to everyone for listening. Make sure you go and support the sponsors of the podcast. Rezzel have done some incredible work and they basically allow this podcast to keep running and allow us to keep getting the guests on that we're getting on the podcast and in the future as well. Go and check them out at Rezzel over on Twitter and Instagram. They've also been shortlisted for the Leading Technology Digital Innovator Award as well. So they're doing some amazing work. I struggle to keep up with the work they're doing because they're constantly releasing new um, new aspects of the business. There's new clubs that are getting involved. Um, they've got big time investors now. The likes of Gary Neville has got involved. So doing some incredible work. So go and check them out. And also when you share the podcast, Give the sponsors a tag as well. You can you can tag in Rezzel. Um, you can also tag in Hydro as well, doing some incredible work. And yeah, please support them as well as supporting the podcast. 
We'll be back next week in episode 212. I'll speak to you then.